Hey, good evening, Mr. Smelly. How are you this humid and hot night? It is humid. Uh, you know, this darn old theater in Spuds Flats, uh, Marionette Theater, uh, really uh, can't afford to air condition like it used to. And it, it's just uh, sw- as sweaty as balls up here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we only have one more show before we bid a farewell for just the summer. And I've been told that in our place, Miss Patty is going to be holding her hot yoga class. Oh, cool. (laughs) So we're brought together here tonight by a great love of film and television trivia. Matinee Minutia is not your ordinary podcast. No, siree. We get down to the brass tacks. We find out what happened behind the scenes and what went into making this. Yeah. Hey, uh, DJ... You know our uh, our gal pal uh, Gertie. Uh, sure do. Unfortunate accident uh, the last time. What what did we? Uh, you know, I I think we called uh, for people to stop by tonight to audition as Gertie's a, a replacement. You know, and a few people have left some cards and some flowers, and that was very kind of you. We certainly appreciate, it and we'll make sure she gets them. Yeah. So, um, you know, folks, excuse us. Uh, I know this is tedious. We're going to go uh, downstairs and, and just uh, just audition a few folks. we got to get someone for tonight. Uh, bear with us. Um, you know, why don't you come along with us? Next. I, I just don't know how we're going to manage on such short notice. Uh, here comes the next one. Hi there. Name and references, please. I'm here for the Etsy store class. I bedazzled jeans. Uh, well, I, I, th- I think you have the, the wrong place, Miss... Um... The name's Blair, but everyone these days just calls me Stutzi. We need to wrap up shortly here. The show will be starting soon. Okay, okay. Nice poster you've got there. I have one just to like it. Uh, say, uh, uh, can you read cue cards? Sure, and I don't even need glasses. They did a surgeon a while back. Uh, yeah, yeah, big eyes, big eyes. Uh, do me a favor. Uh, do you see that stage over there? Uh, yeah. Uh, go ahead and, and stand on it. And and, and when you hear a, a drum beat, uh, here, read these cards aloud. Do I get to keep my clothes on? No, oh, no, no. It's not that kind of show. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I I, I can do that. Great. Here, here you go. Now, now, now wait for my signal. <sighs> okay. Come on, DJ. Let's get upstairs. Uh, uh, Gertie, I, I mean, Toots, uh, Stutzy, Stutzy, up here, hi. Uh, yeah? Uh, look, I'm going to give you a countdown on my fingers, uh, fingers like this, a three, two, one, and then the, some music's going to start up, and, and then, uh, Stutzy, that's when you start, uh, but, but just a few seconds after the music starts, okay? So three, two, one, all right, okay, okay, <laughs> well, this ought to be good, DJ. <clears throat> three, two. Fresh after the excitement of the world's fairs, a shy writer moves to Paris to take part in the Bohemian Revolution. He pitches his play to the owner of the hottest dance hall around. There he finds himself not only starstruck, but spellbound by the dazzling headliner Satine. But will she give him the time of day? 
dust off those top hats and get on your dancing shoes. It's time to head on over to the Moulin Rouge. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of the golden oldies. And a smidgen of streaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. And here we are joined together once again on this hot Friday night. You know, now, Toppy, I hear that the pizza joint across the street had to close early. It was so hot. Oh, that's terrible. You know, they got good pizza, too. Uh, that's too bad. So this is a film that was made in 2001, so it was just after the beginning of a new century, and what a coincidence. Part of the story involves the beginning of a new century. So whoever's listening live, uh, welcome, welcome. Normally, we will give an honorable mention to those of you who are a regular guest, but if you are not able to be in the chat room, uh, we applaud the effort. And, uh, Toby, I'd like to begin a new tradition tonight on the same note of uh, regular guests in our audience here. Now, there is someone who's not able to join us this evening that I'd like to give honorable mention. And Toby and I were just talking backstage that, uh, you know, those of you who may uh, be a regular in our audience, well... We're thinking of uh, placing your name on your seats here. I'd like to start that tradition off with mentioning one of our regulars of the past here, Maren Gertz, who can't be with us tonight. Now, Maren is in transition at the moment, and by that I mean she and her husband are between residences. They're making a move. Hopefully this is their final move. They're moving into uh, a senior living community, so hopefully they won't have to pack things up once again for quite some time. But Marin recently lost some dear, sweet member of her family. Her older brother recently passed away after a long battle with COPD, uh, cardiopulmonary disease. So our thoughts and uh, our hearts are with Marin. So tonight we're going to... Uh, name a seat in her honor so when she can return and join us once again uh, she will be welcome in our audience alright very nice TJ so we normally start our program off by letting you know what was going on in the world at the time of this film now although it's uh, taking place in 1900 this came out in 2001 so we're going to tell you about the world in 2001 in 60 seconds or so so here we go. In Seattle, an artist places a black monolith a la Stanley Kubrick's 2001 in Magnuson Park. Sela hmm. Calderon becomes the first woman governor of Puerto Rico. Milestone there. Uh, we have American Dennis Tito became the first space tourist he uh, he climbed aboard a rocket launched from kazakhstan our russian friends there in the space program uh also in 2001 and it was actually just my the beginning of my second year in the centennial state of colorado coincidentally the colorado avalanche their hockey team 
Oh, and they okay. won their second Stanley Cup that year. Ah. Let's see. So I'm not usually into sports ball, but I had to give an honorable mention there. My my former home away from home. America Online and Time Warner Cable merged in 2001, forming AOL Time Warner. They're not there anymore, but hey. Alabama. Uh, DJ, listen, it's just possible that my email address might still end with AOL. <laughs> well, it's three short letters away. It's 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 almost um, you know an emoji. Uh, Alabama Supreme Court Justice Roy Moore had a monument to the Ten Commandments erected. Uh, yeah, and then he was later sued, and they had to take it down. Go figure. Uh, Vermont U.S. Senator Jim Jeffords went down in history in 2001. After 10 years on service in office at the time, he switched his allegiance from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party, so halfway through his career. And he spent the next decade as a Democrat before retiring. And then just lastly, a couple of other things. We try to keep things on the positive here, but unfortunately, some terrible things happen from time to time. And uh, it's hard to forget in 2001, we had a terrorist attack on several places in America. There were 3,000 people killed in four attacks, which included civilian targets in New York City, a military target of the Pentagon, and then an eastern Pennsylvania suburb of Shanksville were targeted by terrorist attacks on September 11th. Now, um, that concludes the world in 2001. And, um, Toppy, was there anybody on our radar that came into the world in that time? Well, I mean, I'm, I, I think they're yet to be revealed to us, DJ. They're, they're just too young yet. But I can't tell you a few people in that year who have uh, passed, uh, people we've lost. Uh, we can start with uh, Ray Ralston. He was in TV's My Favorite Martian. In the movies, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, um, back on TV on Picket Fences. We lost uh, Perry Como. And uh, he's just the famous singer. We, we lost Carol O'Connor, uh, played the lead in All in the Family, memorably, and in the one-hour drama In the Heat of the Night, based on the movie. Uh, we lost Jack Lemmon, um, who was uh, a wonderful movie career, including The Odd Couple, and towards the end of his career, Grumpy Old Men. Why don't you tell us, DJ, when uh, Moulin Rouge was coming out, what, what, what else was in the theaters? All right. So in 2001, because Moulin Rouge was a film, uh, we'd like to tell you about what else was competing for your attention in the box office there. So also in theaters was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the very first of J.K. Rowling's books turned into a movie, and that film made a whopping $317 million at the box office. Started off a series of six, maybe seven films. Uh, also was Lord of the Rings, which brought in $313 million. We had Mike Myers doing a voice in an animated film that was a part of a trilogy. It was Shrek. It was an ogre in the forest and uh, Fairy Kingdom. Also, another animated film, this one done by uh, now Disney asset Pixar. It was Monsters, Inc. 
starring the voice of John Goodman as a big, lovable, blue furry creature, and that made $255 million. Now, sadly, we get up to the film that we're talking about tonight, and as we've said before, it's no secret we love the underdog. Moulin Rouge, well, it was number 43 at the box office. <laughs> it only brought in $57 million, which maybe only paid for craft services, not sure. No. <laughs> uh, some of the other movies out that year that did better than Moulin Rouge, and, you know, it's, I guess it's not hard to do better. Uh, I probably couldn't, but uh, The Wedding Planner... That was a film with Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Lopez. That made $60 million, twice the amount of Moulin Rouge. You also had Jack Black and Cameron Diaz, who was in the um, Charlie's Angels remake series there. She, she did a film called Shallow Hal, which we look back on now and we think, you know, that was a little insensitive. Uh, she was a plus-sized lady and... Uh, the man who was after her maybe saw through rose-colored glasses. Uh, just a few others. Now, that one made $70 million. Uh, That was Shallow Hal. And we also... You know what? Mm-hmm. That's, a crime. That's a crime that that movie made more than Moulin Rouge. It is. Now, I, I like me some Jack Black, but, you know, the, he could have done something better than this. Uh, well, at least better than Shallow Hal. Um, see, so Scary Movie 2, the second of the uh, horror movie spoof series, had Sean Wayans, one of the Wayans brothers from In Living Color, the Fox series. He was in that with Anna Faris, uh, former wife of of um oh i'm th- trying to think of his name the guy that was the star in the guardians of the galaxies films he's his, her he she's his ex-wife now but uh, anna ferris that made 71 million scary movie too uh even more of a crime folks so uh, listen uh, just want to report to you uh your your husband billy is uh in the chat room he's joined us and uh, Tommy has let us know that he has a box of do- a box of dice, which is a gummy kind of gumdrop thingy uh, that you know you would get uh, like perhaps from uh, Gertie at the concession stands in your uh, neighborhood theater. So I thought that was just wonderfully appropriate, Tommy. Thank you for. Uh, eating your big box of dots. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it looks like Tommy has given us an answer. It was Chris Pratt. Now, uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, he, he has supposedly, um, well, he slipped down to that Bible belt, I hear. But, uh, you know, he's pretty to look at. Also, I'm, I'm remembering now, uh, Tommy shouted out into the chat room in our last show, we were talking about actors who have achieved multiple awards of recognition in their industry. We didn't have the answer at the time, and I called it a triple threat, which got a laugh, but it was uh, an EGOT. Oh, that's what it is. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. So someone who's won those four awards is called an EGOT. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, uh, DJ Moulin Rouge, let's go over the story very briefly. Ewan McGregor plays Christian, a very innocent and young British writer who loves to write poetry. 
and uh, he uh, decides to, uh, against his father's wishes, to move to Paris uh, to a bohemian district uh, to just uh, become immersed as a uh, as an artist, along with all of the other artists. <clears throat> and there's a big bohemian, that's what they called it, a bohemian movement going on in Paris at that time. And uh, he uh, becomes acquainted with the Moulin Rouge. And DJ, you discovered that the Moulin Rouge is, uh, in English, what? It's the Red Sawmill. Yes, and uh, they had this uh, this attraction on the outside of uh, of a not a sawmill. I'm sorry, a windmill, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a and it had lights, and the the windmill would turn, uh, attracting people. So that was the exterior of the Moulin Rouge. And uh, Christian goes over there, becomes acquainted with the the whole troupe, and also stumbles across the headliner, uh, the unattainable Satine. And their worlds collide. He entered a world where fantasy is real, where he could be anything he wanted. And where he would discover the most dangerous temptation of all. Come and get me, boys. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. I believe you were expecting me. So, folks, it's a musical. Uh, and today... Uh, you, you would call this a what they call a jukebox musical in that it features uh, songs that we know and love. Uh, I think they were primarily from the 80s, weren't they, DJ? There was a, a few decades that it spanned. There were some that came from the 70s. And in fact, the opening song that's used to set the tone of the film which was, in this case, performed by Mr. David Bowie, originated in the 40s by none other than Nat King Cole. Right. That's right. Um, do we know the name of that? It's on the tip of my tongue. Certainly. That one was called Nature Boy. Okay. Folks, you'd know it if you heard it, and I think in one of our next clips you're going to hear it. The movie takes place at the turn uh, of the 19th century, the music is contemporary, zany, crazy, but it works. Uh, DJ, let's talk about the cast. First up, uh, Nicole Kidman. What do we know about her? Okay, so this was the beginnings of careers for both of the stars of this film. And Nicole Kidman, although most would know her as being from Australia in more recent years because of that beautiful accent she carries. Well, Nicole was actually born in Honolulu, Hawaii. She was later raised in Australia. Her first Hollywood film was in 1983, long, possibly long before or just at the same time as her future now ex-husband Tom Cruise, but this film was called BMX Bandits, and she got to be one of the boys. She rode around on a dirt bike and wore a helmet. It was a fun little film. Uh, she also appeared in five 
films during her debut of 83. Wow. She averaged one film per year over the next five years, so she kept busy. And to date, Nicole Kidman has had 85 acting credits. Now, this includes 12 films since tonight's feature of Moulin Rouge. It's just a fun word to say, even if you don't know French, Moulin Rouge. <laughs> and Very uh, good. just before this film, she starred in not only her last film with her now ex-husband, Mr. Tommy Cruise, Mr. Dancing in His Underwear, her risky business, but uh, she also had the privilege of being in Mr. Stanley Kubrick's final production, Eyes Wide Shut. Yes, a very strange, strange movie. Yes. That uh, um, stylistically has surreal elements, not unlike Moulin Rouge. And uh, some of the production elements that were involved with... Uh, developing Eyes Wide Shut led to somewhat untraditional uh, therapy. And so it got out into the media that she and Tommy were possibly having marital problems because they were seeing a counselor. And well, after this film was done, it wasn't long before so was their marriage. <laughs> Yeah, this took up a lot of space on your trashy Hollywood uh, TV shows and, uh, you know, magazine rags. I mean, they were on every cover and it was headlines uh, galore for eons. And uh, she did have to sort of semi-retire for a few years to get through this period. Um, Yeah. She also worked with Dustin Hoffman. And uh, that's one of those names. Of course, he's a legend. And she was in uh, Billy Bathgate with him in 91. I think that was a a gangster type of movie, mobster. She was also in a film which I adored in 1993. Now, many of you probably haven't seen this film, but uh, Michael Keaton... Uh, shortly after the first of the Batman movies he did there, actually the only one, I think, uh, he did a film called My Life, and he was a terminal cancer patient who was expecting his only child. And, uh, well, th- through the course of the film, he uh, he basically films little uh, journals, little biographies to share with his future child. Nicole Kidman was in this in 93 called My Life. And then just uh, another credit here to bring you up to speed on Miss Kidman. She most recently appeared in the 2018 DC Universe um, box office smash Aquaman, which stars Jason Momoa, Mr. Hottie, who's married to Lisa Bonet of the Cosby Show fame. <laughs> and uh, she got to play Mr. Man's mama, Atlanta. <laughs> Mr. Man's. Do you, do you hear all this freaking trivia we're pouring out? <laughs> it's pouring out of our pores, people. Uh, so you and McGregor co-starred. By the way, Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor did their own singing in this movie. And by all accounts, they did extremely well. They shined in this movie. 
uh, with their singing. So Ewan McGregor, while well, he studied acting with the, that James Bond guy, Daniel Craig, uh, he had four of their films in 99 alone. Uh, he had 11 roles in the next five years after Moulin Rouge. So he's worked with uh, uh, Christopher Eccleston, Eccleston, and who is of Doctor Who fame, Sean Pertwee, Nick Nolte, Eddie Izzard, Christian Bale, Tony Coletta, Michael Caine, Albert Finney, Jessica Lange, to name a few. Um, and, of course, he was in the very, very, I guess, popular Star Wars prequels, <laughs> playing the young uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hey, it's interesting you mentioned that because they had to hurry up filming Moulin Rouge because the next film being made at that same studio was Star Wars Attack of the Clones with <laughs> yes. Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Basically, uh, they were told, you got to get out of the studio. Moulin Rouge, uh, get going because we got to start Star Wars. <laughs> uh, and I, th I think they did successfully uh, get out of the studio, but there were still scenes to uh, be filmed for for Milan Rouge, and they went elsewhere to finish up uh, the movie. Now, <clears throat> the other uh, star is John Leguizamo, who I love, and he's a character actor who's been in umpty -ump movies. If you saw him, you'd know him. <clears throat> His, uh, he started out as a stand-up comedian, he was so good in some off-Broadway one-man shows where he would play multiple characters. He was absolutely brilliant by all accounts. And uh, he broke into movies um, in 93 with Carlito's Way uh, by Brian De Palma. Um, he was in Untouchables. Um, he was in Casualties of War in 89. He was in Die Hard 2. Uh, and ha, a lot of people will remember him from that just horrible movie, Super Mario Brothers, <laughs> with Bob Hoskins. Uh, he had five film credits in 91 alone. I think a lot of us know him in Two Wong Fu uh, <laughs> in 95 with Patrick Swayze. And uh, he's worked in so many other things. And <clears throat> he worked with the director of this movie, Baz Luhrmann, uh, in the movie he did before this, which was uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet. So um, those are the three main characters. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, lot of other character actors who are, are worth, well, Worth noting, but also, DJ, don't you think that all the characters in this movie, movie had their spot, had shined in one scene or another, even the most obscure? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's important to note that the Moulin Rouge itself, while it was, you know, um, basically um, typed as a dance hall, it was essentially a nightclub. So, of course, you're going to have your regulars, and everybody has a role in the story. So, it's much like that. It's like those stories you see with the neighborhood bar, and everybody has a hand in the story. 
Like, for example, there's the uh, narc, not narc, what, what, when you fall asleep. <laughs> Narcolepsy. The uh, Argentinian who uh, would suddenly fall asleep. There's uh, John Leguizama plays Toulouse Lautrec. Uh, there's the other workers, the uh, other community members of, of Moulin Rouge who are all involved in the theater. The motherly figure who kind of watches out for Nicole Kidman and so many others in the movie, all brilliantly, you, you come to care about them all uh, because they all at some point have something uh, important to do in the movie. So it's really quite an achievement along along those lines. They got a great creative cast. Um, it was written directed by Baz Luhrmann of, of Australia. He directed 2013's The Great Gatsby. Um, and of course, I already mentioned his Romeo and Juliet. Um, what was the dance, the Spanish dance movie he did? Think? I think that the film you're referring to was made before Romeo and Juliet, but it was the early 90s. It was called Strictly Ballroom. Strictly Ballroom. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, the Spanish dance music, and Moulin Rouge were, was considered like at least by him and others as these three movies that came out that all involved music and dancing. And uh, they were sort of seen as a, a trilogy, not related by story, but just by music and, and dance. The uh, director himself, Baz Luhrmann, was very interested in dancing and ballroom dancing, especially Spanish uh, dancing. So... Uh, he he integrated music into a lot of his movies. He was really into, and then this movie, probably more than any other, uh, was his greatest uh, presentation, his greatest realization of of uh, a musical. And oddly enough, what would you think was his one of his greatest inspirations? It's Bollywood. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I, I've done a little reading on this subject. Not a lot, but I it's my understanding that Bollywood is considered to be the next great vein of independent film influence. It's intermission time, folks. Uh, this means it's good uh, good time to go fill your class, and, uh, and we'll be back. Today, it's bypassed Hollywood as far as production goes. It is a thriving film industry um, in India, and it's come to be known as Bollywood. What, what else can you tell us about it, DJ? I just know that they, they churn out the films by the boatload, and of course, yeah. uh, you know, they, they are of course, produced in India, so they are not necessarily in English language. So if, if you're not fond of foreign films, maybe that would explain why you may not be familiar with Bollywood. But there is a, uh, a, a growing 
audience for this this industry of independent film and they've been receiving many many awards and recognition a lot of people see the the bollywood circuit if you will as you know that next great vein of untapped talent i mean even in more recent years there have been some oscar winners that have come out of the bollywood scene I'm forgetting the the name of the director, but there was a winner from a few years back, and it was called Slumdog Millionaire. And, I remember that title, yeah. Yeah, and it was seen to be a, sort of a sleeper film, but it came from the Far East, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a thriving, long-time film industry over there, and... Uh, as I say, their their output has now surpassed Hollywood's output. Now, uh, the director, Baz Luhrmann, saw, uh, began seeing productions from Bollywood, and he was, like, inspired. He said, wow, God, how can we do this in the West? Would it work in the West? Would Western audiences understand this? Because, man, I got to tell you, Bollywood movies are weird. They're surreal. Weird things happen. People break out into vast musical productions at the drop of a coin. And pretty much they're all romances of some kind. Someone's trying to win over the love of someone else. And by God, that's exactly what we have with Moulin Rouge. It is above and beyond anything else a love story. Um, and I would say not just a love story between McGregor and Kidman, but everyone in that troupe loves Kidman for a different reason. And it, it, that's all revealed throughout the uh, throughout the movie, uh, what they're willing to do and sacrifice for the sake of this beautiful woman who just wants to be a real actress. So bo- the Bollywood influence is right there. I mean, you uh, it's very obvious, and it's it's uh, it's amazing. You know, I I liken the uh, talents of the director of a film to being sort of the chef, the cook. And you know, if you enjoy reading, there's certainly a storyteller, and there's an element of filmmaking that has to do with time travel, because you know you're setting the tone for maybe an adventure that's occurred in the past. In this case, that is the case. When Buzz Lurman decided to remake the classic tale of The Great Gatsby, which previously it starred, if I'm not mistaken, taught me correctly if I'm wrong, Robert Redford. Um, yeah, the uh, version that came out originally in the 70s, uh, Robert Redford and uh, what's-her-face uh, who mar- was married to... Uh, <laughs> Oh, that famous director. Anyways, it doesn't matter. But anyways, uh, you know, Boz Lerman decided to remake The Great Gatsby just a few years ago. And aside from Leonardo DiCaprio, he had Tobey Maguire as the best friend. Now, talk about a beautiful film. My husband is a big fan of the Art Deco um, period of architecture and design. And The Great Gatsby is set in that time frame, and Boz Luhrmann just made that world come to life. And a whole new generation of people are now seeing the story of The Great Gatsby from his viewpoint. 
and maybe are compelled to read the original story. Mm-hmm. I would say the same thing about Moulin Rouge. I mean, anyone who sees this movie, well, I, I can't believe you wouldn't be interested in, in learning more about French theater of that era, especially the, the more underground ribald. Because Moulin Rouge, I mean, this was uh, naughty stuff. Uh, the Can Can girls uh, and the, uh, I mean, there wasn't an inch of their flesh besides their face that was exposed, but they picked up their skirts and, uh, you know, their pantaloons were right there. That was scandalous. Uh, so this was a um, highly sexualized environment with uh, very adult, I mean, people went there because you could be sure you were going to be shocked and surprised. And the other thing you, you could be sure is if, if you were wealthy enough, you could go there and get laid <laughs> by one of the dancing girls. So this was, uh, you know, this is sex, drugs, and rock and roll is basically what I'm saying. So uh, we'll talk about real briefly uh, some of the, the music um that was going on and you would hear thing in this movie, these strange concoctions and mixes of things like uh, Nat King Cole's nature boy, uh, the sound of music, uh, Mamie, uh, lady marmalade, um, rhythm of the night, uh, Madonna's material girls, Carol Channing, uh, diamonds, are gold best friend, David Bowie's diamond dogs, the police, I think one of the most surprising and funny uses of music is when the Argentinian starts belting out Roxanne. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so funny. Uh, Elton John, uh, Queen, Joe Cocker, The Beatles, Kiss, Phil Collins, Paul McCartney, uh, Dolly Parton. All of this music is artfully, skillfully, amazingly worked in and mixed together and this is one of the earliest things that happened in the movie and it's not really a mix it's more about music from elton john and this one's for you i hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind. and you can tell everybody that this is your song it may be quite simple but now that it's We're talking a very high energy, imaginative numbers. Good Lord DJ, the sets, the set design in this movie. Incredible. And uh, they, they won an Oscar for it. Absolutely beautiful, especially when you get to the, uh, the end period when they're getting ready. Because they're, you know, of course... As you heard in the beginning, our main character, he's a playwright, and he's trying to sell his story. They decide to produce it, and they have somebody who's going to foot the bill. That's the Duke. And, of course, the Duke has the hots for the leading lady, who, of course, is who the, uh, the, you know, the everyday man is trying to win the heart of. But, uh... You know, they, they have those elements of Bollywood that they throw into here. This is kind of interesting part of the movie is we know right from the beginning that Nicole Kidman is doomed. How, how did you feel about that? 
Well, it you know, it, it felt familiar in the sense that I know that that was a commonly used, I hate to use the word trope, but of that period of time. Now, of course, we learned through the course of the story that Satine, the star of the Moulin Rouge dance hall, is afflicted with a disease we know now as tuberculosis. And, you know, if you're familiar with any storyline that has a dying lead, whether that's Romeo and Juliet or maybe it's Joan of Arc, you, you know, you get used to, oh, well, I'm learning all about this person and they want me to fall in love with them just like their co-star. So something has got to happen. So I am a little careful when that information is right up front, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, the structure of it is, is basically Moulin Rouge is a, a, a besides a, a love story, but it, it, it's, it's a tragedy. It, and it follows the classic tropes of a tragedy. And um, even though I knew that, you know, at the very beginning, that Nicole Kidman was something bad was going to happen to her. In fact, we know she's in the first few minutes of the movie. We know that she perished. Um, and uh, but you spend you spend the rest of the movie falling in love with her, mm -hmm. and of course, so does Ewan McGregor's character. But, uh, there's a little bit of trivia here that's quite interesting. Uh, this debuted at the Cannes Film Festival in 2001. It was the first movie anybody saw. It's uh, the fifth film to use the name Milan Rouge. I can only think of a 1928 movie and uh, the 1952 movie. What the third one oh, is, I have no idea. There were 300 costumes because <laughs> incredible sets, people... Uh, the costuming in this movie also won an Academy Award. 300 costumes created. Uh, 80 people were employed to create these costumes. And uh, there were several injuries during the movie. John Leguizamo portrayed Toulouse-Lautrec, who was a very, very, very short man. And as... <laughs> To do his scenes, he did most of them on his knees, and he injured his back because he was constantly on his knees. Nicole Kidman, I think, fell or something, but she busted a rib pretty bad, and they had to totally suspend filming. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, um, now a note on that. I'm not sure that it was so much an injury as it was she was dressing in period, meaning the ladies of the day wore corsets and Nicole oh, that's right. And Nicole decided to go along with this and she achieved a nineteen inch waist. Something yeah, and that she broke a rib. Yeah, it's, that's something that probably wouldn't be allowed nowadays. Uh, I don't know. She anyways. So but I I, I understand she, she also uh, did something to an ankle and, and she also really did fall from some height. Uh, so jeepers creepers. Uh, there's uh, a lot of scenes that she actually shot while she was in a wheelchair. Um, and of course she's only shown from the chest up. So you'd never know it. <laughs> uh, 
So um, I can say, DJ, you chose this movie. By the way, any reason why you chose it? I just have a fondness for it because of the romance that the the director just um, brings to the imagery. You know, you, you watch it and you understand that there's probably some historical elements to this. Maybe the whole story isn't truthful, but you feel like you've been transported to another time and place. And I think that that's a mark of a, a good director, someone who has the imagination to take you on a journey and, and make you feel like you've lived a part of history. Yeah, so uh, we've uh, been joined by Crone in the chat room. Hi, Crone. Uh, glad you could join us. Uh, DJ, the, the sense of place was palpable uh, because of the sets. And also this amazing way uh, the camera had of like, we're way, way back. We're looking at the Eiffel Tower and uh, we can see Paris below. And uh, the camera zooms in on this Bohemian district. And we, I felt like I knew exactly where it was and I felt like I knew exactly what it looked like. It was amazing the way it created uh, the sense of time and place. Yeah. Now you were mentioning a moment ago, uh, and we'll be, you know, getting to the end of the show soon here, that there have been other films that use the name Moulin Rouge. Now, most importantly, I think that folks should know that there was a film done in 52, which Toppy and I both have watched. I watched at his suggestion because he'd already seen it recently, but it starred Jaja Gabor in the early days of her career. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if she had less than 10 minutes on the screen in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, it was basically a biopic or a biopic on uh, Toulouse, the... Uh, the Frenchman, who was played by John Leguizamo in this rendition, but he was a artist of many venues, including painting. And in that story, which is supposed to be truer to life, he had an affinity for people from another walk of life. He came from a privileged background. His family had relation, a, uh, a distant relation to royalty. And, well... His parents were a little too closely related, so he had some health issues as a result of well, that. Yeah, uh, actually, it, 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 well, it may have had something to do. It was really more that he, he, he fell down some stairs, and he broke many, many bones in his legs. Uh, and they just didn't know how to patch him back together. So as he, as he grew up, the rest of his... Uh, um, uh, to an adult his legs didn't exactly grow so and, and his affinity for the uh, the other walks of life were because that's not how he was raised he he came from privilege and he was fascinated by people who maybe had to earn their living and as a result of that he took a liking to ladies of the night and in Moulin Rouge 2001, the film we're discussing tonight, they've sort of blended in elements of Toulouse into the lead character Christian, played by Ewan McGregor. And it's, it's sort of a, a take that's a, a, a prettier representation for today's audience because, um, you know, it, it, it helps when the person is easy on the eyes and um, you're going to sit through the story longer. And then, of course, you've got all the flash and the bang and the music. 
I mean, they brought in some top performers for that remake of the Patti LaBelle song, by the way, folks. Uh, Lady Marmalade was a song from 1974. <laughs> Patti LaBelle recorded the original, and she claimed, because she was a church-going lady, she said, I don't know what I was saying. I don't speak a word of French. And, ah. of course, ah. the, one of the lines in it is in French, voulez-vous vous avec moi soir, which basically means, will you sleep with me tonight? So, yeah, basically what DJ's seeing is the 1950 film, 52 Moulin Rouge is really a love story where Toulouse-Lautrec is, is is hopelessly infatuated with uh, one of the, the performers at Moulin Rouge, and he's there nightly, just uh, uh, and sketching and and uh, uh, doing sketches for what would become his paintings. And uh, uh, folks, uh, Google Toulouse-Lautrec and look at his paintings. Oh my God! So um, fascinating. That's generally his paintings are what was used for the set designers, the costume designers, to to bring Moulin Rouge to life. Uh, uh, because his paintings are really unusual uh, for the time, and they just they just capture this nightlife like you wouldn't believe. So take a look at his paintings, uh, Toulouse-Lautrec, and um, you'll get a sense of uh, this theater life. He was a very important artist in French history. He was friends with Van Gogh later in his life and also with Oscar Wilde. Hmm. That I did not know. Uh, so, DJ, um, what other movies are it would similar to this that uh, you, you would put on your, your snack tray? Okay. Uh, for, uh, well, some other things that uh, you might enjoy if you enjoyed Moulin Rouge. I've got a boatload of these folks, and I think I'll start off with something I don't have in the notes, Toppy. There was a mm-hmm. movie done in 2012 called Mirror Mirror and it starred Julia Roberts in the role of an evil witch queen and this is basically a modern retelling of the Snow White story. Now Mirror Mirror is important because there are a few very beautiful elements of Bollywood influence in this film. In fact it's done of a man by a man of eastern far eastern descent, Tarsem Singh And, uh, well, let's just take a quick look here, what it says here about Mr. Singh, really quick. He's had 15 acting credits, and uh, this includes the 2012 Mirror Mirror with Julia Roberts. So moving on, uh, some other films I thought you might enjoy from this uh, setting of time. There was a movie with uh, Leo DiCaprio that worked with Baz Luhrmann in 2002, so the year after this, and it was called The Gangs of New York. Now, that uh, was directed by Martin Scorsese, the legend. And it also starred Daniel Day-Lewis, who more recently played a rather uh, award-nominated film about former President Abraham Lincoln and James Broadbent. Now, we didn't get to talk about Mr. Broadbent much, but he was the... Uh, the showrunner, he owned the Moulin Rouge. 
and he is an actor of English descent. He's been in few things that I just adore, and he's been in Harry Potter as well. Look up Jim Broadbent. He's one of those actors that if a movie were to be done about the story of my life, I would have Mr. Broadbent playing my father. Just uh, one other thing I was going to mention, on the note of tuberculosis, which is what unfortunately Satine passed from in the end of the film, spoilers, there is a 1948 film starring Fred McMurray, who you might know from My Three Sons, and a young Frank Sinatra called Miracle of the Bells. Now, the star of this film is an understudy to a woman who was playing in a movie, a fictional movie about Joan of Arc. And she's the understudy. Well, she gets to uh, step up to the plate when the understudy throws a fit. And um, they're not able to pay her what she wants. So the understudy, she, uh, she saves the day, plays the part. Everyone falls in love with her. But wait, she's got tuberculosis. So, well, you get the ending. Beautiful film, Miracle of the Bells from 1948. And what say you, Toppy? What would you like to add to the snack tray? So you might want to catch uh, some of the other musicals of the time. Uh, we used to call them rock operas. So there was Jesus Christ Superstar. There was Tommy. There was The Wall. Uh, Rent, certainly. Uh, as far as musicals go, um, with a with a more modern bent, you know, m- more modern than 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 like Carousel is what I'm saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you also, um, I, I would also definitely check out uh, uh, Cabaret with Liza Minnelli and Michael York because uh, some uh, 25, 30, uh, 25 years after Moulin Rouge. Uh, the height of uh, expressionist theater was going on in Germany at that time, not France. Um, and uh, Cabaret is, uh, of course, extremely well known. But another uh, wonderful story with wonderful musical numbers, just like Moulin Rouge. Okay, so uh, during the break there, I had to run to my jacket and uh, grab a mint, but I found a piece of paper in my jacket pocket. Now, this I find it did. This is quite odd because I was only away from my coat a few minutes, so someone must have snuck into the theater. But here it is. I I found this note, and um, well, Toppy, I'm going to go ahead and open it up here. Okay. Okay, so I, I think it's from Gertie. It looks like her handwriting. Uh, <laughs> she's still on house house arrest. I, I mean, uh, she's still on bed rest, isn't she? Now here it says, "Um, hi, this is Gertie. As you can tell from my voice, <laughs> wish I could be there tonight. I mean, gee whiz, Milan Rouge is right up my alley. You know what I mean." I mean, I used to do all that kind of stuff when I was in vaudeville. Hmm. Anyways. Well, the doc says I I gotta stay off my feet for a few more weeks. You know, on account I fell down the stairs. Hmm. Anyways, uh, hey, you know what? These the new 3D printed casts, <coughs> they're super cool. Uh, mine looks just like fishnets. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so, well, look, you guys... Just be careful in picking out my stand-in. It's a small town, you know. And, well, 
The walls have ears. Oh, jeez. Oh, well. I didn't think she had it in her. Uh, it's always the quiet ones. I don't know. Uh, I'm sensing a connection between uh, Stutzy, who uh, introduced the show today. You know, <laughs> we she discovered her. Yeah. She did say her name was Blair. Hmm, I wonder. Yeah. Um, do you, you remember the poster in the lobby, right? Oh, you know what? I get, maybe. Well, bef- uh, we may have discovered uh, a past uh, between uh, Stutzy and, 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 well, our Gertie uh, that we didn't know about. I don't know what kind of can of worms we've opened. Dun, DJ. dun, dun. Hey. Uh, there you go. Uh, listen, uh, folks, uh, we're going to haul out those magical coins and uh, put it in the uh, the gumball machine, see what comes out. Okay. Go ahead and open that up for me, hmm. sir. All right. Uh, well, next time, folks, it's uh, an early 90s action film. Two besties. Take an impromptu road trip and stir up trouble with the law. It stars two legendary ladies, Susan Sarandon. Uh, that was uh, after she'd been in a coven with Cher, uh, but before she played a lawyer in the South. Uh, and it, it also starred Gina Davis after she made over uh, furry aliens and before she joined uh, an all-girl baseball league. So join us, folks, next time on Friday, July 19th for a special summer send-off as we discuss the trivia behind 1991's Thelma and Louise. Oh, my goodness. You know, Toppy, I don't think I've seen that one. And what a perfect way to send us off on the summer with a road trip movie. Mm-hmm. And you know who recommended this? My Aunt Tappy. Oh, goodness. Yep, and uh, yep. I have it on good authority that we might have a couple of familiar guests next time. Well, because she knows it so well. Uh, my Aunt Tappy and her uh, pal from overseas, uh, her best friend, uh, Bettina Dupre, will be joining us on the next episode. So, uh, DJ, uh, just a final word about Milan Rouge for me is I had never seen it. I thank you so much for uh, uh, suggesting this movie from for Matinee Minutia because I probably never would have seen it. And I have to tell you, folks, sincerely, I watched it this morning for the first time. And I haven't had such a positive movie experience in a long time long time i was so surprised and delighted and amazed uh by this movie that i just can't think of the last time i was that impressed and uh loved a movie so much as Milan Rouge. Yeah. So before we get uh, going, I just wanted to make a quick mention, some Univaz business here. We wanted to thank Moose P, who's been following us and commenting on some of our posts. And yes, it, thank you, Moose P. Yeah, and we want to 
thank Auntie Vera, Vera Charles over there at VeraSpeaks.net. She chimed in on our episode about Duel with Steven Spielberg directing. Toppy mistakenly said Karen Valentine was the actress and it was actually Karen Black. Oops. <laughs> and then just to round things out, folks, we have a new member to the Univaz family. We have a new show. It's called By Furious. It's by a lady who produces a few of her own shows, Charmaine Fury. Go ahead and look for By Furious in the Univaz auditorium anyways look for by furious b-i-f-u-r-i-o-u-s and uh, lastly but certainly not leastly mr archie cruiser thank you yeah i just want to give him a shout out because uh he had uh, told us that uh when he found out we were doing duel a couple episodes back he was uh delighted and he said you know i i i could write a, a college report on that movie because rt cruisers into cars and things <laughs> and uh, so rt cruiser if you listened uh, and you're listening now we'd love to know how we did uh, with our uh episode on duel so let us know all right. Well, I think it's time to uh, lower the lights here and close up shop. Don't forget those keys. Gertie's trusting us not to take any candy. So I yeah, your uh, shout out to Gertie. Hope you're feeling better. And the DJ, I guess we'll find out about Stutzy. Yes. And uh, Gertie later. And a round of applause for those who showed up in our chat room tonight. Yep. Uh, we had uh, our pal Tommy, who comes every week. We had uh, our friend, the ever-mysterious Cronehaven. And we had, uh, briefly, uh, your husband, uh, Billy. And so, folks, uh, that's it. And someone snuck in by the name of Tin Cricket. Hopefully you listened, and maybe you'll stick around next time. So, yeah. say goodnight, Gracie. Good night, and uh, DJ, take us out. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our program is live every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Go to univazpods.net. Click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show, or just want to message us? Email us at matinemanusha at gmail.com. Joe's gone wild with Matt and Tom. Speak up. The Smellcast by Tommy Smelly. Be heard. Tastes like burning with Tim and James. Unique voices in podcasting. The Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti.